first episode, Saying No to Disaster Discourse, we will look at how the rapid advancement of technology has reshaped the ways we interact with each other, and not always in a good way. But we won't leave you in despair. In the second half of the show, we'll get some coaching tips about what we can do personally and right away to take action and mitigate the negative fallout from the digital revolution to get our communication back on track. In each episode, we'll look at the intersection of communications and current events. As the poet John Donne said, no man is an island. So if we can't go it alone, we think it's worth taking a closer look at communications issues and how innovative people out there are rising to the challenge of solving them. I'm your host, Vicky Krajewski, and in our inaugural episode, I'll be chatting with my colleague, Jacob Barnes, who's the founder and director of communications consultancy, Simple Revolution. Hi, Jacob. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Jacob and I have been collaborating for about a year now or more on a digital coaching product around communications. Uh, We talk a lot in our meetings about the importance of communication. And when we started building that product, that's where we started. And you've basically dedicated your professional life to helping people communicate better, Jacob. Can you explain a little bit about why you do what you do and why you're so passionate about it? Absolutely, Vicky. And uh, thanks for having me here and talking to me in this first podcast. Uh, Well, of course, you know, we take uh, communication very seriously in my company, uh, Simple Revolution. uh, And I've basically dedicated my working life to helping people communicate better. For the one reason that I think that if you're able to communicate better, your company will become a better business. That's, you know, as simple as that. But in between being a better communicator and your company becoming a better business, there's so much in there uh, about how you get more fulfilling work life uh, that I believe that if we teach people to communicate better, they will be happier. I know that's a very big word, but I really believe it. And, I, you know, I think uh, having good communication skills is, is really a, well, it's really a survival issue. And I know that some people will be thinking, ah, Jacob, that's probably taking it a bit far, isn't it? You know, I'm, let's say, a doctor, I'm an engineer, you know, that could be one of my, some of my clients. We have real issues to solve. But I think, you know, it makes or breaks careers if you're not able to communicate in a good and uh, persuasive way and be yourself when you communicate. Quite a lot of people that I work with, they treat it as, you know, something that we just put on top of everything else as, you know, the icing on the cake. Let's do a little communication training. Let's, let's you know, let, let's get the coach in, you know, if we, if we have time. Um, but in fact, it makes or breaks whether they are a success at their job. It makes or breaks, you know, whether they succeed with their presentations. And, and I even, I'm coaching quite a few people right now, having, you know, sessions with them that, that run over several months. Uh, and I can tell you it makes or breaks their careers as well. 
because they come to me for advice on, you know, I'm moving to the next level, Jacob. How should my way of communicating change now that I am the link between a team of 100 and I'm the link to, you know, executive management? How does that change the way I communicate? And, you know, that, you know, survival at work, definitely. So uh, that's why I've dedicated my life to it. I would be a really bad engineer or a bad doctor, but I'm uh, pretty good at telling people or coaching people, helping people to communicate in ways that they will um, have better lives, I think, and better jobs. So we are podcasting mid-pandemic, which is going to be a memorable event for years to come, to say the least. You and I talked about how building the digital coaching tool that this podcast is part of felt more relevant as we were all forced to live more and more of our lives through blue glowing screens online every day. So what kinds of impacts have you seen digital communications having on the people you coach? And what have you seen as we've gone completely online for this pandemic? Do the people you coach talk about it at all? I mean, I know in my experience, I feel things like digital fatigue and just so tired out by all the Zoom. Um, and also, though, addiction. Like, I can't get away from my screens. I know they're not helping me, but I also feel like I need to stay constantly engaged, yet that engagement isn't feeling rewarding in any way. So I was wondering how that's come up for you in your in your coaching, Jacob. Well, Vicky, I've, I've found that it's had a really massive impact uh, on my clients and the people that I coach uh, because it's completely changed the way they have to connect and relate uh, to other people. It's been a really big change for many of the people that I coach and for many of the clients I have in, in all these big global companies. And, you know, they are global because they need to, they, they used to travel all the time to meet each other and uh, to relate and connect. And now they've within a couple of days, really, they had to find new ways of connecting with people across the globe in at a scale that they never done before. Of course, everybody's been having virtual meetings, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, but now it became within, you know, within the first week of a global lockdown. Basically, it became what you did all the time. So it had it's had a massive impact on people, and it's been highly frustrating. The first month, it was exciting to many people. We had to learn a completely new skill, and that's, you know, always fun. But as the pandemic uh, continued, everybody got really tired of the virtual meetings and, you know, meeting online because it is very difficult to connect with people in any deeper sense over a longer period of time when you have to do it only online. Yeah. Do you notice it yourself in, in your personal experience? Absolutely. Uh, my my life is completely uh, digital now. It's completely virtual. Everything I do is via the computer or via the phone. There are some very good things about it. I'm, I'm meeting a lot more people than I would if I had to travel or go to physical meetings, face-to-face meetings. I have many more, you could say, contact points, but also the, uh, the, the, the connections I have are not as deep. It's just not possible when you do it virtually, especially with people that you meet for the first time. And that's a real frustration. And it is also, I think, impacting on our businesses uh, because in the long run, when these connections uh, get weaker, our ability to do business or develop 
uh, innovative solutions decreases. I have an example, Vicky, for you. I usually have to do keynote uh, speeches at conferences and so on, talking about communication. And in the last six months, all of those keynotes have continued, but they've become virtual. So that means I've had events where I've spoken to four or 500 people, but it's been from my living room. I've been alone, you know, maybe at night, talking into a camera and trying to hype myself to talk to a crowd where everybody's also sitting at home, alone in their kitchens, you know, in their sofas. And I had to try and engage them while they're also, you know, they have their phone in one hand, they have coffee in the other hand, they have a dog barking you know, somewhere wanting to go out and all this. And so that's been a really strange experience. So I do think we act we act different and we feel different online, don't we? And that that point you made, Jacob, about having so many distractions around and it's really hard to compete with the 3D world, right? When you're just 2D pixels in front of someone. And I feel like all this has happened in a few short years, that social media, on the one hand, has really changed the way we communicate at a bedrock level. It's normalized a lot of things that we would not have found normal a short, short time ago. And so when we go in a Zoom meeting, we create this kind of 2D version of, of ourself. And not only that, we have to stare at ourselves, right? I, I remember at the beginning of lockdown, this woman wrote on Twitter, like the best thing about being let back out into the wild will be that I don't have to stare at myself every time I'm talking. Mm. I guess I feel like when I was young and I learned to drive, I like this analogy, one of the things I noticed was what you call road rage. I suppose. And I hadn't seen it happening as a passenger in a car. But when you get behind a wheel, you see that people like would honk and swear and do rude gestures at each other when they were in their cars. And then they'd get out of the car and they would never act like that in the grocery store, right? In the produce aisle. Uh, and I thought they're doing that because they can't see each other, right? They see a car, not a human. Do you think that we have similar tendencies when we're communicating online? I think it's a super good analogy, <laughs> Vicky. I recognize myself as a driver, <laughs> I have to say, and, and I'm a bit embarrassed about it. I know, you know, what it's like being in the car shouting at other people in their cars. You don't really see them as people when we're in the cars and shouting at them in their other cars. We don't feel the responsibility for them. And I think it's kind of the same tendency you see online, that because we're in our own small compartments online, in our virtual spaces, without being physically close to each other, the rules that we have when we interact in a room together, when we're phys physically together, they are kind of annulled and some other rules come into play. And those rules say that because I can see myself everywhere, I'm the most important person. You know, in many ways, I think social media is fantastic because it does allow us to reach out to people all, all over the world. So I think an important thing to say also is that, you know, the idea of social media is awesome. Yeah. But I also think that what we've seen also recently is that it's gone out of control. I mean, the, the whole idea of us connecting with other people across the globe and we get to know each other. You know, I love that idea. I, I've met people that I would never meet yeah. online. You know, in, in my mind, when it all started, and it's not that many years ago, I thought that, wow, social media will open up the world and it's, it's just part of globalization which i am a huge fan of so i thought also that 
And now we're going to break down the walls. We'll get to know each other much better. We'll be, you know, we won't be as racist. We won't have so many stereotypes because we'll get to know people, really know people. What happened was that because of all the algorithms that the media companies apply to our social media feeds and that they own, it's actually turned out that they feed us with reflections of ourselves and reflections of our own opinions only. So where we thought or I thought that, you know, social media and globalization would end world conflict, it's basically had the opposite effect because we only see ourselves online. So every time you log on, you know, also to a newspaper or news feed, it will feed you with the information that they already know that you will agree with and you will be turned on by. And so I never get to, unless I make a special effort, I don't get to meet people with different opinions. I get to read about them. Because I read about them in the news when they report on problems, for instance, in the recent presidential election in the, the U.S. But in my own media feeds, in my own social media, I meet reflections on myself. So it's not only boring, but it's also dangerous uh, because we become self-obsessed in that sense. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole, isn't it? And you just you just get led deeper down instead of that, that notion of connecting across. Yeah, exactly. And you don't even notice what's going on. Uh, so, you know, like you had the analogy of the car and the road rage. You know, I have another analogy where I say it's like we used to be living in villages and we never saw anyone else apart from the people living in that village. And once a year, we went to the, you know, the, the summer fair and we might meet people from the other village and then we'd marry people, right, from that village. And I thought that with globalization, the, the, the age of the village was over because we were just now one big, happy human family. Again, I'm probably very naive, uh, but it didn't turn out that way. We're completely back to the village only meeting people that agree with us, seeing things that we agree with. It's a real problem for, for at least us uh, living in the Western world where, you know, we value democracy. Yeah. The consequence of this is that we're becoming less and less empathetic towards other people because we only meet ourselves. Yeah. So we only meet people that we already love. And we don't get to know anything about other people. And if we never meet other people, if we never meet the the other perspective or the opposite argument, we don't get to train our empathetic skills. And then they just, what do you say, they shrink like an apple would shrink if it doesn't get any water. That I think we are seeing online. And that's what I think is happening We've seen for many years that, and we've discussed for many years that people online are simply rude and disrespectful. We already discussed that earlier in the podcast, why that might happen. But it's about us becoming less and less empathetic towards each other mm. and having absolutely no sense of responsibility for the group as we had before. Yeah, because the groups have changed, right? In, in, in that sorting out, you're only sorted into, you know, your track. And so this is the kind of 
down the line effects of the algorithms. So they select for the most exciting, rage-filled, extreme, the thing that's going to make you click or share or comment. So the algorithms themselves kind of in the, in the name of engagement, they kind of take people in whatever track they're in and push them further apart from each other. So Jacob, you talk about like, when do we get to meet each other? We are so polarized, right, by this effect on a scale into billions of people engaged in Facebook and WhatsApp and social media of, of any kind. And we're so polarized before we get to meet each other that we just don't even recognize each other. When we finally do meet, we're enemies, right? We've been moved so far away. Yeah, and we don't know how to interact with the other perspective and the other arg argument. Uh, and the only way that we can start having meaningful conversations again is if we respect the other point of view. And social media and the algorithms and the rabbit hole that you talked about has made it more difficult for us to respect the other point of view because we are not being encouraged to really by social media. We don't even notice because it's become the norm. So only if people like ourselves and, and other people that also value communication skills and, and the reason why communication is, is, is important, only if people really start taking it seriously, it will change. And it's where it starts having effects on feelings and behaviors that it's quite scary. And you can see, I mean, you talked about the beginning of social media when it was it was very idealistic and everyone talked about it as, you know, this this wonderful thing that's going to connect us all and and that we didn't have that sight. You know, we did we couldn't see down the road to to see what was happening. It happened without our signing on or signing up to say, I want to be, you know, polarized. I remember signing up for Spotify, the music mm -hmm. service, and thinking, this is amazing and I love it because it's giving me music that is like the other music that I like, but I didn't know about. And then after a couple of months, I was like, I want new music. I want to hear other sounds. And I just kept getting like carbon copies of the same band, like over and over and yeah. over again. And I feel like, you know, that's happening. The whole idea of the, the filter bubble that was only sort of brought into the discourse in, in 2011. So it's, you know, it's not even that long ago that anybody sort of said, hey, this, I, I see this, this is a thing that's happening. And a person by the name of Eli Pariser wrote a book called The Filter Bubble, um, What the Internet is Hiding from You. And at that time, he was talking about this notion and he was talking about Google search results and how they would they would get narrower and narrower based on your previous, everything that you had already put in. And so it would just lead you down that path really of isolation instead of connection. You would only see what you'd already looked at. And at that point in 2011, he was just saying, hey guys, this is something we should all pay attention to. It was really an alarm bell. And that was, you know, a decade ago now. And and it's turned out to be very true. I mean, we're now in a space where those bubbles that we are sort of trapped inside of are so isolated from each other and also pushed so far apart, you know, polarized that we're in this permanent road rage condition and, and we can't connect. Those bubbles are separate. And then more recently, the Center for Humane Technology has been sort of collecting a lot of the research that you're talking about that's going on. And they've published something called the Ledger of Harms 
which starts to list, you know, all of the of the very clear harms. It's like we've been in the car driving with road rage for so long that when we get out of the car, we just act like we're still in the car, right? And 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 it's really sort of spilled over. So I don't want to like have the whole podcast talk about isn't this zoom doom and gloom so to speak. Um, there are lots of grim statistics, but I think what you do in your coaching is really important because you've you've mentioned it already. Talking about empathy, and I think that we as individuals we can't walk out and change Facebook, right? We're not going to transform Zoom and how it works. Um, but there are, I think, really important things that we can do as individuals for ourselves and then for our colleagues that will make a huge difference, you know. So I don't know if you can talk about, you know, empathy and what are some steps we can take? What do you do with your coaches? Well, it's a really good question, uh, Vicky. And it's something that I spend a lot of time talking to my coaches about. I think one of the things I you know, usually tell them is to you know, get over themselves first, get out of your own head and try to get into, you know, someone else's head, because that's basically what empathy is about, trying to understand other people, trying to understand their feelings, the situation they're in right now, and understand, trying to understand why they react in the way they do. So get out of your own head and, you know, let's start focusing on the other person. One thing I... I have noticed is that maybe especially for younger people, and there I mean, you know, maybe, you know, people in their 20s, maybe even in their 30s, it's a slight difference from us older people that, you know, didn't grow up with social media. People are a lot more focused and interested in their own reactions online than in the intentions of the people talking. Yeah. Well, and it's built that way, isn't it? It's designed all around reactions. And so it's no wonder it's not a mystery, is it? No, it's not. But it's like we focus so much on how we feel and how we react to things and, you know, how we're going to orchestrate our reactions to things. And we forget about what was the intention of what was actually said by the other person. What, what I actually try to tell people is that before you can do anything and before you can change anything about the way we connect and relate, you've got to start with yourself and you've got to start with awareness of what's going on. Awareness of how you're reacting and why you're reacting in the way you are. The feelings you get when you communicate, when you're in a room with other people or when you're online with other people uh, and whether those feelings are worth feeding Mm. Are they relevant feelings to feed when we talk about a, a a work situation? So I ask people when they go out of the meeting or they go out of the presentation situation, sit down for two minutes, close your eyes, and try to feel how are you feeling right now? We all know when we've had a good or a bad experience in some way. We know when we come out of a meeting room, you know, why am I feeling different? But unless you sit down and think about what am I actually feeling, do I have a, you know, a knot in my stomach? Uh, and why do I have that knot? If you're, if you're honest with yourself, you will be able to answer that question quite quickly. 
but you need to sit down and reflect for two minutes before you can do it. And people never do that. They run to the next meeting. So you need to take time to reflect because that way you will grow your awareness of yourself and your reactions. And until you know how you react in different situations, then you cannot start to imagine how other people react and, and how you can change your behavior or your way of communicating so you meet people in a respectful way in the meeting room. So what I'm saying is it starts with yourself, it starts with awareness, and it starts with reflecting upon how situations with other people make you feel. And from there, you can start to change things. and You can start changing how other people perceive you and react to you. Mm, I like that reflection instead of reaction, because I, I, I think that's another habit that we've been entrained into that's been normalized react 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 hasn't yeah. it and and that does come from just being saturated in in digital so much even in a zoom meeting i think it was a, a teams meeting that i was in the other day and you know you have the faces in front of you including your own face and then there's a chat and the chat is going on the side and then there are these reaction buttons and people are going like and wham and 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 it's it's just all about reacting and there isn't any reflection <laughs> happening there and so do you have any exercises or anything like that you know that you can recommend to people or is it just reminding yourself of that i think the most important exercise i have is to take time sit down and reflect on how you feel about the situation mm -hmm. really do it and be honest being honest with yourself and your own feelings is the first step training your empathetic skills towards other people i don't mean that most people that we interact with or that i coach are not empathetic because they are nearly all people i meet are very empathetic people but we just need to train the skills once in a while to get back to a place where we remember what it means to have a meaningful conversation. So what does empathy look like in a virtual meeting? How can we use empathy or show empathy in a digital setting, in a virtual meeting? Well, in a virtual meeting, it's a, it's a slightly different setting from a face-to-face -face meeting in the sense that you cannot smell other people and you can't, you can't hear them in the same way. And you can't see their facial expressions or you don't decode their facial expressions in the same way because there is a delay when it's virtual. And that kind of tricks our minds into maybe believing sometimes that people are not listening to us or, you know, that they have strange reactions to what we say. We need to realize that in the virtual setting, We have this delay and there is this glass wall between us and the others. So, Jacob, you're talking about awareness. And I think there's an element of being aware of how you're feeling in a virtual meeting. I think we've all been sort of shoved in to this situation quite recently with the pandemic. Well, we'll just do this thing that we used to do in person and we'll just do it online and and get on with it. And it's not the same. Have that empathy for yourself to say, 
this is making me feel really awful right now, right? And I guess then to ask for what you need, there's an element of just recognizing the differences, recognizing how that makes you feel and giving that space, I suppose. Yeah, there are so many differences between a a face-to-face meeting and a virtual meeting. We simply cannot concentrate for very long in a virtual meeting. This delay in the camera feed, so we can't decode people's faces in the same way. And this tricks our minds and makes us very tired. This is why virtual meetings have to be shorter. They have to be more precise. Uh, We've got to respect everybody's time to speak. You know, we can't have the same animated conversations as we have around a meeting table where we can joke and, and talk over each other. In a virtual meeting, you've got to respect people. When people are talking, they are talking and you've got to mute and you've got to indicate when you want to talk. And I think you've got that level of discomfort as well, don't you? I mean, a lot of people don't like being on a camera in a meeting room, right? You can choose where you're going to sit. And I think that that makes a big difference, you know, to your comfort level. Like I sit at the front or I sit at the side. And I think people feel very strongly about about how they engage in, in person, right? And you don't have control of that either in a virtual meeting. No, it's a, it's a completely different setting. And I think we've all been surprised how different it really is and how mm. we just have to change our behavior uh, and the way we approach meetings when they're virtual as compared to to before. Uh, We have to be way more disciplined in a virtual meeting and way more respectful, simply because we cannot see each other, we don't see each other in the same way. Mm. And I really mean it also when I say we can't smell each other and all of this, that's important for people when they're together because it's kind of, you know, in, in some subconscious way, we decode each other with smell and sound and touch and all of that. That's disappeared. So we're only using two of our senses in the virtual meeting, which is eyesight and our ears, right? So all the other senses are gone from the virtual meeting. And that makes it super difficult to navigate. And you can't actually make eye contact in a virtual meeting. We talked about trust, right? And that's so important for trust, but I can't actually have the experience of looking anyone in the eyes. No, exactly. It's it's very, very difficult to connect at a deeper level with another person when you can't look them in the eye. You think you might be looking people in the eyes, but you're not. You don't get the same feeling and the same connection. If we thought about future being only virtual meetings, how is that future going to look for the way we connect in this world? And it's not like there aren't advantages. We had this discussion early on, didn't we, as well. You know, a lot of introverts have been really relieved to not have to have that what feels like a really intimidating face-to-face experience all the time, right? So, I mean, there are are good things, um, but I think the takeaway for me when we sit down and think about it is to stop and recognize the massive change, right, that there is between being in person and being in in a box, right, being on a screen. And the empathy is recognizing that for yourself and how it makes you feel, but maybe giving space to make that part of the conversation with other people, right? Like in, in a meeting, maybe checking in a bit more deliberately or intentionally to recognize these things. I think that's a very good point, Vicky. And also, I was just thinking, we have to be very much better at creating identification when, when we are in a virtual meeting. So no, you only trust people you find that you can relate to, that you can identify with. And that's a lot easier in a face-to-face meeting. 
So when we're virtual, we've got to spend more time in creating that identification, trying to say things that you know that the people will be able to identify with. Small, everyday stuff you can say, like, you know, what a queue I had on the motorway. I was in the queue for hours today because of this and that. And everybody else will be able to say, yeah, I had that same experience yesterday. And that way we identify with each other. And identification leads to a higher level of trust in other people. Whenever I have to do a presentation, a virtual presentation, you know, a keynote, I always start by creating some kind of identification with the people that I know are sitting behind the camera. Uh, so they think, okay, this is not just some strange consultant guy on the screen. He's actually a real person that I can identify with. And that mm -hmm. way they will listen and, and, and hopefully trust me a bit more. Absolutely. turnaround here is that we're, we've created this habit of reacting. And the biggest thing from this conversation that I take away is, is to turn that into reflecting. So to check in with yourself, and that will allow you to check in with others, because, because empathy isn't just asking other people how they're doing. And if you're not aware of how you're impacting everyone else around you, if you're in your bubble, you're just going to pop everybody else's, right? So that to me is the biggest takeaway. And Jacob, I appreciate your thinking around that and how empathy is really our tonic. And it's a way out of this habit of disaster discourse, this road we've been driving down with our road rage. You can find out more and get personalized communications coaching from the brilliant minds of Jacob and his colleagues on our Ripple platform. Thanks so much for your time and, and your thoughts tonight, Jacob. You're welcome. It's been really fun. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, Jacob. I really enjoyed it too. And to those listening at home, check back with us for our next podcast when we'll talk to more great guests and chat about the communications issues shaping our lives at home and at work. <laughs>